0: On this episode of AV Week, the secrets of Microsoft Teams Rooms, a big change to Extron, and how a chip called Brooklyn is going to help the chip shortage. All that and more, next on AV Week.
1: The network for the AV industry.
0: What are you listening to? This.
2: This is AV. This.
0: This. This is AV AV Nation. Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 584, recorded Friday, October 28th, 2022. Simple MTR. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by...
1: Buyout. Enabling extraordinary AV experiences for everyone. And by Sennheiser. For over 75 years, Sennheiser has been a leader in pro-audio and is now offering a wide variety of touchless and traditional audio solutions for both corporate and educational
2: campus-wide audio. And by
0: FSR. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audio, visual, news, and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host with us to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week. I think I'm going to go... Farthest from me uh, to nearest from me, uh, nearest to me, Mike Gopal. Mike is in the UAE uh, and good to see you, sir. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Also with us is Kelly uh, Cicchetti. Kelly is in Houston. Welcome, in.
1: Thank you. Thank you for letting me come on this week.
0: Absolutely. And I don't know that Orlando closer to me than, than Houston, but I always want to end with the uh, the anchor, the, the, uh, the, uh, the biggest uh, name in all of A.V. Bradford, Ben, welcome, sir.
3: Thank you for having me, Tim. I'm very uh, happy that you remember just how important I am. Uh, most people forget, but it's nice to know if people still remember I am the most important person in A.V. Also, congratulations on a
0: Bears win. Dude, that, that, that was, yeah, that was, that was impressive. That was very impressive. So, um, first story comes to us, uh, actually from our website, from Ray, from SCN, from any website in the AV industry that you can find Andrew Edwards has established a C-suite leadership team for Extron. Uh, Really quickly, Extron is a sponsor of Aviation and has been for many, many years. Um, Extron founder and president Andrew Edwards announced today that he is moving to the position of chairman of the board and promoting Brian uh, Tarachi to chief executive officer Casey Hall uh, to chief marketing officer and Ed Ellingwood, uh, to chief financial officer. If you know Brian's name, he has been the head of technology for many years. Uh, and if he knows Kate, you know, Casey's name, uh, Casey's a dear friend, uh, and we've had him on, uh, from time to time. Bradford, I'm going to start with you on this. Uh, this is one of the last of a generation. Uh, Mr. Edwards is not going anywhere. Um, uh, but he is also, um, getting up in, in age. I want to say he's, is in late seventies. Uh, if he hasn't hit 80 already. Um, obviously still being involved with being in the chairman of the board, but this, you know, Andrew Edwards from Extron, George Feldstein from Crestron, you know, uh, the founders of AMX, the founders of, of, um, you know, auto Patch, all these folks have, have either passed away or have, have retired where, you know, wh- where does this put us in the industry? As there are a number of people who will write on a yearly basis about Infocom, that it's small iterations and nobody's doing anything crazy and groundbreaking, or dare I say, game changing anymore. Um, where does that put the industry?
3: So first I'm going to come back to, to Andrew Edwards change. Uh, I think that's just good business succession planning. Uh, I don't, my hunch is it's not going to change anything huge. I just think it shows, you know, people are thinking about the business and how does it continue and all of those things. Now, in terms of the small iterations and not huge game changers, I'm giving that a little bit of a pass until 2025, uh, because of the supply chain and COVID, uh, which I'm sure will come up a few times between now and then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't. I think the the small iterations is a true statement. There are some groundbreaking things that happen every so often, uh, such as I remember when the PV Media Matrix was introduced at AES in 1993, I believe, might have been 92. Definitely a huge change. I remember, you know, when Cobernet and Dante and some of these things came about and with control systems, 4K over over ethernet or over streaming IP, kind of a big change now, laser projections. What I think is actually happening is that, thanks to Moore's Law and just technology in general moving so fast, huge changes don't appear huge anymore uh, to us. Uh, As some of you know, I'm a slight space fan. Uh, The example I use is Elon Musk's launching through SpaceX every couple of weeks, 49th launch of the year is happening uh, on uh, happened last night out of Vandenberg. Uh, The 50th will be next week out of Kennedy space is still hard though, but it's become so common that all of this stuff is happening that it's not an amazing milestone anymore because it's normal, if that makes sense. Uh, So I think, If you look at it objectively, there are still big iterations, but as a society, as technology moves as quick as it does, it's not appearing at it. Also, I think that because of the way trade shows are happening in general, I think companies aren't holding back until a trade show to launch things. I think they're launching it as soon as it's practical to get the sales in, to get their return on investment. So I think there's also that going on of just, it's ready, let's ship it. It's kind of like it used to be everyone waited for CES for the big consumer events and what's being launched. Now it's becoming, let's launch them in September so we can get the holiday rush. Mm. So, I don't think it's a huge change. I think it's just our perception.
0: Mike, Mike, same kind of question, right? Um, you know, we we look at the next generations constantly, right? Um, generation Z, right now. So, and, and I, I think I can name one or two folks in the industry that I would deem a mad scientist in the vein of of Feldstein or or, or Edwards. Um, but what what does this look like for the industry as as Andrew Edwards kind of steps steps back a little bit right um, and and gives it over and, and has a nice succession plan?
2: Yeah, so I'm with Bradford on this. I think that he's he's stepping back because it makes great business sense as far as the organization is concerned, and he's probably going to be chairman on the board and play golf and do all those great things as he does as a chairman. And the company will continue being as strong as it is. And I don't think that. They've got a couple of rough years with logistics and channel distribution and all that kind of stuff coming up, and I don't think them doing innovative technology is going to be something they're going to be striving to do over the next two years. They're going to be dealing with all of the backlog and logistical issues, and they're going to come back, like Bradford suggested, possibly in 2025 with something that's going to wow us. Uh, But what that's going to look like is probably a little difficult to tell because with some of the big moves that Microsoft, that we're going to discuss later, are talking about, Things are consolidating, um, and there may not be really a market space for these guys to come out and put something out there that will be groundbreaking.
0: All right, Kelly. Uh, question comes to you now: Is is when you're looking at this, and, and as Mike and Bradford said, you know the the groundbreaking iterations may come in ones and twos, and they may come next Thursday for all we know. So so what should be we? What should we? Be looking at as as far as like you know groundbreaking or or the next step, um, or as somebody who kind of designs these systems and and you know, imagines them in in your mind you know months sometimes years ahead of time. What would what will what will you be looking for?
1: Well, I think I agree with what what Bradford and Mike both said. I think this is definitely a strategic move on their part. Um, you know, as far as. I think the proof is in the pudding right now. Everything's kind of all over the place in terms of supply and, you know, what's considered groundbreaking. I mean, we've got similar products that just kind of keep showing themselves as being redundant. You know, um, everything's kind of switching over to, you know, over the network, everything's kind of, you know, internet uh, network design, all of that's kind of an AV are becoming kind of one. So, Right now, I, I think we're kind of seeing the same things. And as far as anything groundbreaking, I I, I haven't seen anything yet. Um, you know, I do like the idea that there are manufacturers, Extron being one of them, trying to find solutions around these chip supply uh, supply issues. And I think that Right now, that's what we're considering groundbreaking because we can't get a lot of these products and we're being told that a lot of these things are, you know, uh, all the way out to Q3 and Q4 of next year. So I think what, this is more of a, I guess it's a strategic plan on their part so that they can address some of the issues and some of the things that we've come across as designers, such as being uh, limited to what we can spec out in a design, being limited to what we can use, and then also kind of facing those budget constraints that we also have uh, from clients at times. So right now, I think I'm more concerned with, can we get the things we need? Can we get the products we need? Can Can we do a design without facing the... Just tons of just delays that we've been we've been coming across that are only getting worse at this point. Um, so that's where my focus has been in the industry at least is, what are we going to do for the near future? Uh, what are we going to do when we have to put a design together and we're told, for instance, we cannot get this part anymore. We're we're end of lifeing it despite it being not supposed to be end of life for another two or three years. Um, so, groundbreaking. I mean, I'd have to just as, as Bradford said, it's, it's something, you know, let's wait until 2024, 2025 and see what they do with this new leadership team.
0: I I love, uh, manufacturers won't love this, but I love the fact that you said ground groundbreaking right now is getting product. <laughs> <Right. you're> not- <laughs> um, good Lord. Yeah. Um, all right, uh, uh, let's let uh, next story um, from our friends over at AV Magazine. Uh, Guy Campos, uh, who writes a lot for for AV Magazine, Paul Bray, and Greg Jeffries are analyzing how to make Microsoft Teams Rooms or MTR, if you are a cool kid, which I am not, uh, a success. And Mike, we're going to start with you on this. Uh, Mike does a lot in in not just Microsoft space but Zoom space as well, and making a lot of these these work. Um, one of the things I found interesting is that, uh, this article takes two different things. One is, is the hybrid approach, right? And certainly, you know, depending on where you are, um, Bradford, you know, is, is works remote a lot. Kelly does as well. Mike does as well. I do once or twice, you know, uh, every once in a while, uh, our producer Mitch hundred percent works remote unless I make him come in so uh, we can have a bagel. Um, But Mike, when you look at this and and, and you look at the hybrid part plus um, what Campos and the gang looks at as an opportunity for AV to kind of leverage these these Microsoft Teams room systems, is is there something there that that AV folks are missing or the end users are missing when it comes to the possibility of MTRs?
2: Unfortunately, yes. Um, And I just recently discovered this um, while discussions with Microsoft here in Dubai as they launched the first Hive space um, here in the Middle East. And, and that was this overall overriding uh, strategy of Microsoft to support the technology in the room. And unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you're looking at it, the way that they've done that is to strip back the hardware and the technology that's going into the room as a Microsoft team certified product. So a lot of manufacturers are having to pull a, pull things out from, from a feature perspective, right? From their cameras or microphones or otherwise to allow the MTR room to be simple enough for Microsoft to support. So while MTR as a licensing concept may be innovative, okay? And as a strategy for Microsoft to, to rope the market, right? As a, te- as a as a technology strategy, it, it's to be frank, unfortunately, kind of sucks. Because manufacturers are having to bring out third party versions of what they already did, and that third party version to be certified by Microsoft has to be stripped down to a point where it can be suppo- be supported by them. Yeah, absolutely. so this uh, is not so. You know, there's there's a bit of a catch there.
0: All right, Kelly, uh, same kind of question as, as you're looking into systems um, for, you know, the modern worker, I, I, I'm a little, I, I get tired of phrases a lot. I was tired of hybrid. I was tired of huddle spaces, really. <laughs> I am tired of hybrid. Um, but uh, it is kind of what we're talking about here is, is making sure that meeting equity is, is applied across the board. And, you know, where are we looking uh, when it comes to Microsoft Teams Rooms? Uh, to make these systems, you know, better and, and faster uh, and more usable?
1: Well, I've had this conversation a lot. Um, Teams is, is now one of the most used platforms. So it uh, used to be Zoom, now it's Teams. I think Teams needs to fix some issues within their own software first. Um, if you have ever used Teams on a virtual desktop or any kind of through a VPN Uh, Teams has has a lot of issues when you're working remotely in that sense. Um, You know, if you're on a local desktop, I don't see these issues as much, but I feel as though Teams slows down its own productivity on its own. I I feel like they're limited in terms of just the the way they work during video meetings. Anything uh, docked to a 4K monitor, there's issues. Um, If you're using a Crestron Flex system that the Teams room doesn't always sign in, uh, so I think the compatibility of Teams is, I think, their biggest issue right now. I think it's a great software. I do like using it. I do think that they have a lot of a lot of strong points. Um, you know, there there is that chat that's integrated, so you kind of have everything in all in one place. They do uh, let you upload files, so you don't have to continually send. Files separately, Uh, you can use the tabs to upload files, but then there's also the downside of security issues and making sure someone doesn't accidentally send a malicious file, which has happened before and everybody got affected. Um, Their notifications are lacking a bit. So I feel like Teams is kind of their own worst enemy when it comes to making them more efficient for a meeting room or conferencing room solution. Um, I I do like Teams overall. I like their concept, but I do find that I've had more issues with Teams than any other software. Uh, And I feel that's something that Teams has to address internally within their own software, along with the compatibility issues that we we come across when we're trying to use them on different all-in-one conferencing solutions or different uh, PCs, or if you want to use... you know, a room PC with Teams, and then you have to switch between that PC and, and a Flex PC. So, I mean, it's, I as far as making Teams a better solution when it comes to a meeting room solution, I feel as though it's all going to be dependent on not just the setup of the room. Obviously, when it comes to Teams, it's also going to be dependent on what you're using, who you're using, what the setup is. Um, but I feel like a lot of the weak points in teams is is directly related to teams itself.
0: All right, Bradford, um, you'll have the last word on this. How do uh, how to how do dealers, but also how do uh, end users, you know, leverage teams um, to make a better experience or make a, make a better room? Mike
3: and Kelly have some very salient points, but I'm going to come at it slightly different. Like you said, end users. I think the challenge with Microsoft Teams rooms or WebEx Teams rooms or Zoom rooms or any of these rooms is if you're going outside of your company or to a, to a mm. different meeting package. Uh, so I think we have to consider that as one of the major hurdles that needs to be addressed. Having some using SIP can And don't ask me what the name stands for. I forgot already. I think it's switching via IP. Who's going to tell me if I'm right or wrong? Uh, But, you know, I think getting better interoperability between that is the key to make this better. I I use Teams at my company because cost-wise, it's the most cost-effective. It also provides my voice over IP. It is a single point solution and it integrates very well with Microsoft. The other challenges I have with it, though, is Zoom records better than Microsoft mm-hmm. does. Uh, also, the fact that it works, as Kelly was talking about with virtualization, Microsoft Teams is not as transparent and simple for desktop as uh, on Mac computers or Linux computers as it is on Windows. Now, you can say the same thing about things such as Riverside, which is what we're using to record. I have to use Chrome. I can't use other browsers, but we can all use different machines. But I think the the making the room better is a key thing, but I think what's being missed in all of this, and I'm – I dislike the fact I'm going to use a buzzword, is the meeting equity. And I think that's the biggest challenge to things being successful. Uh, And this doesn't matter what platform you're using. It's that if you have four people in one room and one person remote, there's going to be the whole people talking to each other can hear themselves in the room, but the far person can't. Or if someone uses a whiteboard and it's not a smart whiteboard, not everyone can see it, or passing pieces of paper around. So I think that's the big item, is making that more intuitive and easier for people to use. And I think it's that comes down to us as AV designers, but also for education of, you know, I'm using a shotgun microphone, so that you can hear me and if i was doing this at a company i would put lots of small shotgun microphones or headsets on everyone in the room so that everyone could be heard because if you talk to anyone who's had a, a like a design review where you're looking at a set of drawings and everyone's scattered around the table that's the biggest problem followed closely by you can't see what's being Uh, Marked up, and I'm like, put a document cam over so you can just use a regular red pen. And so, I think that all of these tools are great, but I'm not sure anyone's looking at the actual use case and the experiences for everyone. uh, Because I support, as you know, at my end, because I let the customer pick what video conferencing i use microsoft teams i use zoom i use blue jeans i use go to meeting i can list you know all of the different applications i have installed and they all have their pluses and minuses mm-hmm. uh so i think the bigger issue is setting expectations and training people how to use it uh I know it's going to sound like I'm an old person going yell, yelling at people to get off my lawn, but I remember people having to make reservations for long distance phone calls and having to wait for the echo to come back across from Europe to here just like, you know, a longer delay than we have via VPN getting to Mike in UAE. But People, A, got used to saying something and waiting, and then B, started to think a little bit more about how do we address this and make it better. Uh, And I think that's the ultimate thing. Yes, all these tools are great, and if you look at the article from uh, AV Magazine, I'm like, yeah, this is great. You can have the layouts and the bleachers, but... If you have three people sitting in the back row and one person sitting in the front row and you don't put a microphone at every table and have proper auto-mixing, you're not making the situation any better. You can go bigger size and make it so it's like live view where everyone's life-size and sitting across the table from you, but you still need to get the practice. And I think that's where we haven't, made it easy enough and i also think part of it falls on uh the software providers and the conferencing providers of the little reminder of if the if the little meter's not moving on your microphone no one else can hear you little stuff like that Mm -hmm. yeah so once again wandering but once again the most salient points you'll hear today
0: all right uh last uh story and it's been it's been alluded to a couple times does certainly does uh get into supply chain dante uh the ordinate group is now shipping dante brooklyn 3 audio networking module this is to replace uh, uh brooklyn 2 uh, they announced the ship uh they announced the the uh uh networking module in uh, june at Infocom 22. 22 uh, but it is shipping and this actually replaces dante 2 which is incredibly important because, uh, well, quite frankly, we couldn't get Dante 2s, at least as a manufacturer. Uh, Kelly, let's talk with, with, start with you on, on this. When you look at uh, not just Audinate, and, and I don't need to pick on them, but also you know the, the, the reliance on some of these chips and, and some of the uh, acrobatics that some manufacturers have had to go through,
2: mm-hmm.
0: when we look at that and we look ahead to end of 23, 24. maybe, possibly 24, uh, before we're out of some, some, some of these woods. Um, what are we, uh, what are we telling and and what are we communicating to, uh, not only our coworkers, but also end users on the best way out of, uh, out of our current situation?
1: So I don't think there's any one best way out of the situation, but, um, I'm really excited about this actually. I didn't get to go to Infocom this year. Um, hopefully next year. But I'm really excited about this one just because of the moves they're making to kind of address the supply chain issue. One of those things being the PIN compatible replacement, which is uh, using the Zinc pl- platform. Uh, so I think that's a really smart move on their part. I also like that they are making this uh, Brooklyn 3 compatible with all uh, Dante devices uh, as opposed to the 2, which was not. Um, you know, And I think that they're also kind of addressing the supply chain issue with doing a mass production and they're using I also like the fact that they're using their um, Dante embedded platform and which is a Linux software solution and then they're using uh, their IP core which you know allows the manufacturers to run the Dante uh, as they state on a variety of pre-qualified FPGAs so I think what they're doing is very smart and I'm actually Really impressed by how they're addressing this chip supply chain issue because right now all we're getting is a lot of you know we're out Q th- till Q three Q four of next year we we can't get that right now because of the chip shortage so we're kind of like I said before and earlier uh, in the conversation we are kind of limited to what we can use uh, there you know a lot of manufacturers are, are promising that they have some set aside but then they have to give those to larger projects and and whatnot so I I I really like what Audinate in particular is doing with this uh, to counter that impact of the supply supply chain issues. Um, I know that Audinate has also uh, introduced some strategies that they are trying to, uh, in advance of the shortages, I know that they are trying to mitigate that challenge um, by, as they stated, leveraging strategic partnerships with these chip suppliers. Um, So I like that they're also being proactive in that sense. With it, with clients, it, it's really a hit or miss. Um, it's it sometimes we have clients who are just very specific about wanting to use this manufacturer. There are no substitutions, and then we have to come back and tell them, well, you know what, we, we can't get anything for another year. Um, so, unfortunately, I wish there was a a one time one solution for these issues, but there's not. And I wish. That more manufacturers were kind of doing what Autonate's doing, um, and and I know that you know a lot of these companies are doing their best in trying to also mitigate the supply chain issue with chips. But right now, there is I have not found a solution to if um, if if there is a chip delay. Uh, sorry, if there is a chip uh, supply issue um, that further puts us. Back into the next into the 24, 2024 and 2025 even some in some of these uh, situations and instances. Um, right now, I, I think that this is the start of how we fix that issue, and I think what they're doing is is how you go about fixing that supply chain issue. Uh, so I'm really excited that they're they're doing this with the Brooklyn Three, and I I really I'm really excited to see what comes of it and it, it, how it does affect their products in the future and if they do uh end up finding a replacement for a permanent replacement at least for uh their dante products but for now i, I really like what they're doing with this and i do think this is a really good solution to that
0: all right uh bradford same other question is is, is what do we make of this and how how is it going to help us out of the woods so i agree with a lot of what
3: kelly was saying you know they're designing this from the ground up i also want to say this is one of them incremental things that happens at Infocom like we were talking about earlier. This isn't a huge change. And I also want to point out it's a big change for technologists like myself, Mike, and Kelly, but to the customer, there's almost no change in what the Brooklyn 3 does versus the Brooklyn 2. It's a pin for pin replacement that addresses the supply chain. I like that as a AES-67 support. I like the fact that it has uh, simpty and I'm going to get it wrong, the number, uh, just because my brain's full of other stuff now, but it has simpty 2120 support. I like that. So it has a lot of good things, and it's pin for pin compatible, which is huge. And being compatible with everything, I think, is huge. Uh, but for me, it's not a... It's not a huge answer, but it's a very good answer. Uh, like, for instance, I like the fact that it's a standard PCI, uh, PCIe form factor, and it's pin for pin, and it uses Xilinx, and for, uh, who is the manufacturer of the Zinc chip. For those of you who aren't familiar with Xilinx, they're a huge company. They make all sorts of chips. They're not as big as Intel, but they specialize in FPGAs. Field programmable gate arrays, and these are the brains that make everything work. And the fact that Audinate thought to make this portable to other FPGAs is huge. Uh, it's kind of the equivalent of QSC virtualizing Qsis That's giving a lot of freedom and flexibility. Uh, because now that there's Dante Via and the old Dante sound card... Yep this is becoming less and less of the constraint. It's the overall chip itself. So I see this as a help to all the other manufacturers, though, who have existing designs that use Brooklyn twos. We can go through all the Harman products that use it. We can go through the I.O. frames from QSC that uses it. We can go through consoles that use it. It impacts everyone. To me, it's about the equivalent, of the CM1 module, the CobraNet module, going to the CM2 when chips became obsolete that they needed and they updated it. So to me, this is just as much a sustaining engineering update as anything else because there's no huge change to the vast majority of people. Uh, You know, it's going to be transparent to the vast majority of us. I think it's a good thing, as, as Kelly said to you, addressing the supply chain, but for the most part, to me, it's not groundbreaking. It's not even, you know, a big heavy truck driving by. All right.
0: Uh, Mike, you'll have the last word on this. Uh, you know, certainly we all use Dante in, in, in various systems, but how is it gonna impact, you know, your users um, and uh, going forward?
2: So I, when I, you know, I looked at the article cause you sent it to me, cause to be honest, Dante is not really on my radar. In that respect, but when I read it, I thought of two things. One, my customers are going to be able to actually buy it and install it, so that's the way it's going to affect them. It's not going to be a technology thing whatsoever. It's going to be the fact that I can actually supply it and it can actually go into their projects and and they can get things working. So that was a that's the major effect it's going to have as far as this market's concerned. My other thought that came to me is why did they why did they wait? Like they brought out a better product in a crux time period, right, which effectively is better than the two, which took some time to come out in the first place and was apparently revolutionary at Infocom when it did. Then they rolled out three in a half the time period with better features, with less uh, dependency on the supply chain. Like, what were they waiting for? And could this theory be applied
0: to other manufacturers? What are they waiting for? So so necessity being the mother of invention? I don't know. That's a good yeah. It's like, we can't get the other chips, so why not do this one over here?
3: I was going to say, as a former manufacturer, uh, there's a lot of things that aren't always apparent because this has to get various regulatory approvals, has to be defined to work in the hardware itself, all these things. But also, you have to think about your customers who, knew, who need X period of time to make their receiving, to make their products compatible with it. I'm not, I don't disagree with you of what took it so long, but those are some of the things that can make it take so long, especially if it's a pin for pin replacement. I agree. Yeah. Why is it so long?
1: And I think they had also worked on at least they, the decision to discuss alternative solutions to the supply chain issue. And I know that they were uh, talking a lot about how to engineer versatility into the product strategies. Um, I, I believe they had started talking about this in 2021, uh, to initiate the development is I think what they had come out and said as last year, at least, um, as far as replacement for chips goes. So, you know, I agree with you. It's, it's. 2022 now we've had this issue for a few years. <laughs> it's frustrating to have to keep telling clients that we can't get that for you. That we got to redo the design uh, or spec something that we're not even sure we'll get. Um, you know, we're coming a lot of coming across a lot of issues in the design process where we are still having uh, clients ask for specific products, and and or uh, specifying specific products and kind of saying, well, this could be end of life next year. Or this could be end of life when. Uh, comes time to install in order so it we're throwing darts right now and um you know i agree this this is something that in a sense should have why wasn't it available sooner why didn't it why didn't it come out sooner um you know i I know that they did start talking about it in 2021 but you know it's yeah i mean i i can't say much more than than that it's it did take a while, <laughs> and it, it has been a struggle. Um, but at the same time, I like Bradford said as well. Uh, you know, I think this is a start to at least mitigating that issue, and 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 I hopefully it mitigate mitigates it sooner rather than later. Because I I would like to be able to spec something, specify something, and then also be able to tell a client this is what you're getting, and we do not have to find substitutions. I do not have to go through product data and approve. Uh, substitutions that may or may not work or may change the functionality of what we're designing. Um, Mm. So, you know, I do like, I do like that they're finally coming out with a solution, but I feel like manufacturers, other manufacturers do need to start coming up with some kind of solution because it is really tough to have to redesign something in the construction administration phase.
0: All right. Uh, Thank you all so much. I appreciate it. Um, Mr. Bradford, Ben, thank you, sir. Uh, How do people connect with you?
3: Uh, I'm available on the Twitters uh, at Bradford Ben with two N's. I also can be found at Advisest, uh, my uh, my consulting firm. I typically can be found making fun of the Bears uh, just to lampoon Tim. Uh, so I recommend doing that. Uh, although they're doing better this year, so I'm a
0: little stumped. You're gonna you're gonna <laughs> curse them. <laughs> All right, Mike. Thank you, sir. Thank you for staying up. Uh, and for uh, circumnavigating whatever we had to do to get you on from the UAE. Uh, how do people connect with you?
2: Uh, so I would suggest Twitter, Mike GP tweets. It's the best place to find me and the easiest place to find me.
0: All right, very good. Kelly, thank you so much. Very nice to uh, at least virtually meet you. Um, uh, uh, Kelly, uh, uh thank you. And, and how do people connect with you? Uh, LinkedIn, most likely?
1: Yeah, since I can't get... Back into my Twitter profile and I will have to create a new one. I'll uh, link E1 my LinkedIn. <laughs> Didn't sign in for 30 days, so it got deleted. so I'll create a new one. but for now, LinkedIn's probably the best way.
0: All right. We'll have Mitch uh, put a link to you on the website. Uh, for me, for Tim Albright, do not follow me on the Twitters. Uh, me and Elon are no longer talking. So uh, <laughs> but go by the website if you would, please, avianation.tv. That's avianation.tv. You will find this program and a host of others coming down the pipeline pretty soon. In about uh, three weeks, we will be covering DSE uh, from Vegas, uh, the 17th, 18th of uh, November, we'll be there uh, covering all the things digital science. So check all that out and more at avianation.tv. That's avianation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week.